2: Hello Canucks fans and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks conversation, a presentation today of the VGH Millionaire Lottery and Wendy's Daily Face-Off Survivor Pool game. Wendy's is letting you win real food with your fantasy team this year with the Wendy's Daily Face-Off Survivor Pool. For those of you who dream of smoking the competition, Wendy's is rewarding you with weekly prizes that will have you winning. But here's the big secret to lineups. It's all uh uh-oh serendipitous. Like Wendy's new limited edition chicken strips and French toast sticks. Sometimes the best teammates are the ones you'd least expect. Sign up to play daily face-off Survivor Pool to win weekly prizes like new chicken strips and French toast sticks from Wendy's and the Wendy's app. New week for me over at the uh, Wendy's daily face-off Survivor Pool game. So I'm just going to say that. New week. We'll see what it, see when we talk about it on Wednesday again. We'll see where I'm at. David Quadrelli alongside... Harmon Dial, our technical producer, the man at the controls is Grady Sass. How was your weekend, Harmon?
1: It was great. I didn't lose to the worst team in the NHL, so <laughs> I'm feeling pretty good about myself, although I will say off to a sleepy start. This is week four in my defense, so it's only happened once, but as the intro was firing, this is the first time I've forgotten to turn on the um, button for our
0: mic. Okay, it shouldn't even be your responsibility. It's okay. Don't worry. Oh, uh, whose responsibility should it be, huh?
2: Uh, mine, it should be within reach. I shouldn't have to reach over, Grady. I don't know why you designed the studio this way. I pin it on you, but anyways. Quads, you do deserve blame, though. I finally fixed this chair.
1: <laughs> so somebody, I saw somebody being like, why does Harm look so short? And I'm like, buddy, I know I'm significantly taller than quads, and I'm watching the stream back, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I do look short. I go back, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I have to adjust the chair significantly
0: you is sabotage significantly me. is a little extreme don't make me whip out the tape measure and have you guys go back to back and we can mark your i think i might be taller than all. hard stop it <laughs> stop it it's a podcast we're nobody knows proof here nobody knows it's a podcast well
1: well now our chairs are level and so we're the same height can see I, I look taller now it's gonna, it's gonna be a competition <laughs> of who can get
2: higher up in their chair all episode Log. Okay. Let's not waste any more time. Harmon, you are taller than me. I'll admit it. Um, Okay. You just mentioned it off the top in your little intro there. Lost to the worst team in the NHL, the San Jose Sharks. That game was two minutes longer. The Canucks may have won it, but an NHL game is only 60 minutes long. And Michael Granlin only has one goal in the season. That all resulted in the Vancouver Canucks losing to the San Jose Sharks on Saturday night.
1: Yeah. To me, the Canucks had a strong push. Towards the end of the game, they control play pretty well in the second period. But to me, that start was unacceptable, especially because I was mentioning after the Friday win over Seattle with uh, with j on rink wide. We, we were briefly previewing the Sharks' game. And I said, for me, the biggest key for the Canucks is the first goal is always important in any game, but especially so against San Jose, because the Sharks average 1.6 goals per game. And so you have to understand the psychology of a team that's that bad. If you get the first goal on them, a 1-0 deficit seems like Mount Everest. It's just going to immediately deflate their tires. You, you score the first one like the Canucks have in some of their other matchups against the Sharks. And you just kill their hopes and dreams right, right then and there. In fact, the Sharks have not won a single game this year where they've, where they've surrendered their first goal. So in light of that, for the Canucks to come out that flat, in the first period was really disappointing because the only way you let the sharks win is if you let them into the game by surrendering the first goal and actually giving them some hope and belief. And to me, it wasn't just, Oh, you surrender that first goal because look, if the Canucks had been, let's say out the sharks 18 to four in the first period, and they somehow get a lucky goal. Fair enough. That happens. Bounces go against you, but the sharks legitimately outplayed the Canucks in that first period. And to me, a mature professional team would understand the stakes of that opening period and has to come out flying. There's no excuses. The sharks played the other night as well. Uh, They were also on the second leg of a back to back and it just, they're also the sharks. Yeah. And to me, it just felt like the Canucks weren't as hungry and urgent away from the puck. It it felt like once they, once the Canucks got the puck, they were zipping around in the offensive zone, Mm -hmm. but they weren't hustling away from it, which sort of led to that disappointing first period, which to me, like, that's why they sort of, yes, there are other parts of uh, parts of their game that you don't like, but the most important takeaway for me is you just can't start like that against a team like that.
2: It's interesting that you point that out because a lot of people, I think, would say, well, they lost the game in the opening two minutes of the third period. And I, I think what you're saying is it just kind of sets the tone yeah. for one of those bad performances. Like, you, maybe to your point, you shouldn't be neck and neck with the Sharks at the end of 40 minutes of play, and you shouldn't be in a position where you can lose the game in the opening two minutes of the third, which is what ultimately ended up happening. for the Canucks. What did you think of that play, the one where it was Philip Horonic it looked like, that got turnstiled by uh, Michael Granlund, who scored his first goal of the season on that. And I didn't like the neutral zone play of JT Miller on that goal. It's not all horonic's fault, but I was just looking at it and saying, look, I was on rink wide after and Jeff was like, Oh yeah. Like Philip Hronick's putting up points. I wonder what his contracts going to come in. And it's like, you could make a highlight reel of defensive miscues from Philip Hronick already this season. And that's got to be, that's got to take off at least a million during negotiations. That one play giving up, <laughs> giving up a goal, getting turned out by Michael Granlund. You can't make more than $8 million doing that. You can't.
1: Yeah. It wasn't great. It's the thing is Hronick plays such a high volume of minutes and he's not an actual shutdown defenseman. So I think he's been solid for the most part, but yeah, there have been breakdowns. And specifically, before he got traded here, I spoke to Max Boltman, who covers the Red Wings. Uh, fantastic analyst, fantastic reporter, and he sort of referenced that when Heronica was in Detroit, one of the biggest uh, weaknesses for him was defending the rush, and that he would occasionally get turnstiled like that. So you definitely don't like to see that. But to me, you should never be in that position in the first place, where you. Can give the sharks a window to get into the game like that uh, again. I mean, look, it, the Canucks even still had opportunities despite their lackluster first period to put the game away. I mean, Di Giuseppe after the huge breakaway chance had a wide open net like you, you got to bury that. Uh, I didn't like how sloppy Myers was with the puck in the first period. As much as we, as much as there's a lot to talk about in terms of the other parts of that performance, I just can't get over. You gave them life. You gave them hope. Because Mm -hmm. again, they've never, the Sharks have never won a game this season where they've surrendered the first goal. Canucks needed to, in my opinion, just kill it early. Mm
2: -hmm. Um, In the words of Rick Talkett, playoff teams don't do that. You don't let the San Jose Sharks have any breathing room in the game right from the start the Canucks allow them to do that I want to get to a comment here in the YouTube live chat be sure to interact with us folks this one from jarhead who makes a really good point he said you guys know travel is a big part of fatigue in playing back-to-backs right you pointed out that the sharks played the night before their game was done at like 2 pm it was a, it was a matinee game they were sleeping in their own beds they were probably asleep by the time the Canucks final horn went in the game in Seattle and then the Canucks fly in and I don't know if a lot of people know this but You have to fly into Oakland and then take a bus down to San Jose just because there's laws in San Jose about planes coming into the airport after a certain time. I don't know. There's some reason for it. I think what I just said is the exact reason for it. But then take a bus ride from Oakland down to San Jose, which, look, the travel, it just basically what it ends up meaning is you're not getting in, in, settled into your hotel room, settled into bed, probably until the wee hours of the morning, like 1 two o'clock in the morning and then you got to go play the next day sure they didn't have a morning escape but man you have got a great le- you you've got a great amount of time to prepare if you're San Jose for that game in comparison to what Vancouver did so yes they both did play back to backs but context matters as Jarhead points out
1: that's fair and I think we've referenced the heavy schedule multiple times when we've discussed I think this bigger stretch where they've been up and down that's fair enough that's a really valid point but I don't want to hear about it when you're going yep. up against the San Jose Sharks. Hey, fair enough, man. Fair enough. Uh,
2: and I, I wanted to quickly get into and this. the Canucks,
1: ju- yeah. I just want to also say that the Canucks themselves hold themselves up to a much higher standard than that. Like, we're talking, I, I don't think he's accepting fatigue as nobody is. as an issue for losing to, to the Sharks. And look, it's not the end of the world that they lost to to San Jose. Again, in the bigger picture of what this up and down stretch means, it's okay it's definitely not the end of the world every team but it is disappointing
2: yeah vegas just lost to arizona every team has stinkers uh you would have liked to see the canucks bounce back in a game like that you you know you could also call the seattle game a stinker as well so you'd like to see them bounce back i look i don't know every team's gonna have those games so just in the in the big picture yes it doesn't doesn't matter long term because look we've been talking about this grueling seven games in 11 days that the Canucks have had to play it's over they had a day off yesterday they had practice today uh Ronick and Quinn Hughes both got a maintenance day those guys should be fresh and ready to go tomorrow against the Anaheim Ducks we're quietly a wagon in the Pacific Division but we'll preview that ah, they've lost six straight quietly a wagon quietly but this they hey Look, I know they started the season that way too last year, but that that start was impressive. Come on, that Pavel guy on the blue line, that Pavel guy. Yeah, we love, love him. You're gonna call him right. yeah. yeah, we love that guy. You don't watch a lot of the Ducks, do you? No, no. Quietly away again. Quietly.
1: Because I don't straight. watch their games. They got blown up by Edmonton the other night. Yeah, I mean nine points,
2: nine points in two games for Connor McDavid. All over the place. I'm hearing that.
1: They're back. Oilers you, are back. You don't watch anybody outside of the Canucks, do you? Kyle? Oilers
2: are back. Oilers are back. No, actually, I I do, but not not much. Like I I don't know. It's hard to. I go I go try to watch a game. It's like no, oh, this is blacked out. What the hell is that about? And I'm not about to go find an illegal stream. and Be like, oh, I gotta watch game 19 of the Arizona Coyotes season. Or oh man, gotta. This is must see TV. The uh, New York Islanders versus the I don't know. Who's another bad team that I don't want to watch. I don't know. See, you can't
1: even name yeah, them. Yeah, i Ducks. Yeah, the
2: Ducks. I don't want to watch the Ducks. Well, Anyways.
1: you're the reverse uh, Eastern media, where people are like, oh, Eastern media doesn't stay up. You, you, don't, um, you don't tune in early enough, That's and right. you miss all the Eastern games. That's
2: right. Exactly.
1: <laughs> uh,
2: okay, one thing I want to talk about in relation to the San Jose game, Andre Kuzmenko, two straight games that he's a healthy scratch we find out today at practice that he's going to be in the lineup tomorrow against the wagon that is the anaheim ducks but two straight games for andre kuzmenko in the press box look hindsight is 2020 and i'm not going to come do a holier than now speech about how oh rick Tocket should have put andre kuzmenko in the lineup in that game I was all for benching Kuzmenko in the first game and we didn't have a show. So I'll just be honest and say, I was all for it. The second game too. I was saying, absolutely. Like I had a few people reach out to me and say, I'm surprised Kuzmenko scratched again. I said, I'm not, he should be scratched. And I was fully on board with the second scratching in that San Jose game. Now I see that the Canucks maybe struggled to score a goal when they really wanted to. And you start to think, okay, back-to-back games you guys probably are tired even though we don't hear that you guys probably are tired why not get some fresh legs in there in the form of andre kuzmeko he's had the one game scratch we've seen it last year under bruce boudreaux where he was scratched for one game and then he started going on a tear as soon as he got back from that healthy scratch Hindsight's twenty twenty, and I'm not here to say this is what I thought on the weekend. This is what I thought this morning on my drive into the studio. I was thinking about this and saying, you know what, they could have used a goal. You probably want Andre Kuzmenko in your lineup for that game against San Jose Shark. But hey, I didn't think of it at the time. Clearly neither did Rick Tockett, and he's getting in tomorrow night. But what did you think of the second scratching for Kuzmenko?
1: I think DiGiuseppe Giuseppe would have been the only player you could have pulled out of um, the lineup after that Seattle performance, where the bottom six was fantastic. Bottom six carried uh, the Canucks in that um, in that game. I mean, you weren't going to pull out Hoglander. You weren't going to pull out Oman, uh, Garland, Joshua, Bluger. All those guys stepped up. So I can understand why Talkit scratched Kuzmenko for a second game. I didn't have a problem with it. To be totally hon- to be totally honest with you, pulling Di Giuseppe out and inserting Kuzmenko would have been defensible in my opinion. But I also don't didn't have a huge problem with it. So to me, even when I look back at that loss, I'm not looking back at Kuzmenko being scratched for a second straight game as uh, a missed opportunity or or that it's a decision that should be relitigated. I thought it was reasonable. it of course, confirmed that um, Kuzmenko is going to be back into the lineup tomorrow, and Di Giuseppe, based off line rushes, appears to be the odd man odd man out. Mm-hmm. Although Talkit didn't didn't say they've definitively decided.
2: And I also want to say that a week or two ago, Dakota Joshua was the odd man out at practice, and then they had morning skate, and he was in the lineup. Like, Joshua was just given that wake-up call in the form of sitting right. out at a practice. Maybe that's what's going on with PDG. I don't know. We, we don't know the answer. Um, we'll get to more stuff from practice on the other side of Jeff Pearson and right before Jeff Pearson, who's going to join us in moments here. But the final thing I wanted to mention about that San Jose game No five-on-five goals. No five-on-five goals against San Jose Sharks, which again, brings me back to, okay, maybe you do want Andre Kuzmenko in your lineup for that game. Because right now, look, if your best players aren't your best players, you're not going to win if you're the Vancouver Cast. I know two goals for Brock Besser, that was great. Three assists for JT Miller, also great to see, but that's one line. That's one line and they didn't score at five-on-five. And I'm not trying to nitpick here. I'm just saying that, in the context of Elias Patterson not playing at his best, we're not saying he's injured anymore. He says he's fine. Elias Pedersen not playing at his best right now. We saw it in Colorado. You're not going to win when Elias Pedersen isn't at his best. On a night where the bottom six carries you, that's fine. But when the line itself, and this isn't even a dig at Joshua and Garland, their line's been spectacular. But when they talk about a roll of the dice, like in the context of we don't score all the time, but we do a lot of good things. That's great, but the team needs goals and you need to score. So you can't be overly reliant on that bottom six production, which who thought we'd be saying that, but for the Canucks, when your top six isn't going, you probably aren't going to win many games. And your bottom six once in a while is going to bail you out, but
0: rolling the dice isn't really a recipe for success in today's NHL. I thought they just had an opportunity bringing Kuzmenko back in against a team like the Sharks. Worst team in the NHL. He scored against them earlier this season. Like, it's not like they were bringing him back against, you know, Vegas or Colorado, one of the premier teams in the West that can bring the physicality, which we all know isn't a strong suit of Kuzmenko's game. So I've looked at it in the sense, well, here's a chance for you to kind of restore this guy's confidence against the worst team in the NHL. Maybe get him back on the score sheet and maybe have him out as the extra attacker instead of Sam Lafferty. Uh, when you're trying to tie the game. But um, yeah, I mean, I I had no problem with him sitting on the Friday night. I was just a little surprised that they didn't try to inject some more offense into the team. I think that's a great point. And the people in the YouTube live chat are saying similar things. They all wanted to see
2: Kuzmenko in the lineup, and we will tomorrow night. For now, let's get to our pal, Jeff Patterson, brought to you by Four Wins Brewing. Locally owned, family owned, and operated in Delta. Home to the Four Winds Light Light Lager. A crisp, clean, and easy drinking beer. A beer for everyone. A perfect beer for before, after, or during the game. You watching your Canucks lose to the San Jose Sharks? Boom! Get some Four Winds delivered at fourwindsbrewing.ca or ask for it, Four Winds Light Light Lager at your local liquor store or have some delivered to you, as I said. Right to your door through the online shop at fourwindsbrewing.ca. Let's bring him in.
0: Jeff Patterson. Jeff <laughs> Patterson. feedback jeff you doing laundry there
3: sorry what's the problem
0: oh it's oh, just some a... feedback okay coming it's, from here. it's
2: gone now it's yeah. gone um, it, sounded like, echo canceling it sounded like, sound like you were doing the hit from inside your washing machine while it was running but i think nope. we're good yeah i think washing
3: machine we don't do laundry in our house
0: uh... <laughs> <believe> in <laughs> <laughs> okay uh jeff. New,
3: cl- new clothes off the rack every single day that's <laughs>
0: how much
2: are we paying this guy grady Anyways, we'll uh, we'll look at the books after uh okay jeff it was the subject of your ponderings patterson's point on sunday at canucks army rick talkett's comments after the game in san jose some pointed comments ticked off talk which i loved that title by the way i just gotta say jeff came up with that that was not me as the editor stepping in and changing the title that was a fantastic title
3: yeah, I had somebody else on the beat uh, DM me and say, I wish I had thought of that headline. And I say, hey, I'm taking credit for that one because uh, all the other headlines I've submitted that I've only been on the job for like a month and Quadrelli's changed them all. <laughs> like, I, I guess I don't, not enough SEO for Quadrelli there, whatever, but he went with TikTok. Um, and yeah, like, I like those comments after the game. He's not letting this team off the hook for a late November loss against the San Jose Sharks because the schedule was tough. And the point of my column, and hopefully people have read it. And if they haven't go check it out is that, you know, what else is tough. The playoffs are tough and it's a grind. And I sort of pointed out using that 2011 team that, you know, two trips to Chicago, two trips to Nashville, two trips to Boston, one trip down to San Jose. It was 25 games in I think 62 or 64 nights and you know, the, the stakes get higher the further you go. Overtime, double overtime. Like, the playoffs are really difficult. And when you look at this core of this Canucks team, Pettersson, Hughes, Besser, Thatcher Demko, you know, they saw the playoffs in the most bizarre and unique formula possible in the midst of a global pandemic, in a neutral site with no crowd. Like, part of playoff hockey is battling the adversity that comes with a hostile crowd that w- wants you to suck royally. And you have to rise above. And so uh, I, I just think Rick tockett has been there. He's won the Stanley Cup as a player and as a coach. And basically his comments were, playoff teams don't let opportunities like this get away just because you're a little bit fatigued. So I like that. He's raising the bar around here. And and look, over that 10-game stretch, guys, they went five and five. Like, that's totally credible. And if that's now seen as something disappointing, then maybe the, the culture is changing little by little around here. But... When you go to the third period, tie 2-2, and you've scored late in the second, and it's right there on a platter against the worst team in the NHL, they should have been 6-4 and over that daunting 10-game stretch.
1: Jay, Pat, uh, Pia Suter was originally cited as a day-to-day type of injury. You were able to follow up with Tockett about Suter again today at practice. Where do you think Suter's at, and how much do you think the Canucks miss him right now?
3: Well, I was glad to see him. First and foremost, I saw him in the hallway. Uh, they had a big table. It's Hockey Fights Cancer Night, and they were getting players to sign some memorabilia. And I saw him, and I thought, that's the first time I've seen him even around the rink and around the team. But Tockett told us he hasn't skated yet, suffered a bit of a setback. Uh, we're led to believe it's a middle body injury. Take that for what it's worth. Tockett said lower body, so that rules out. You know, I, I'd had some people that ask me, is it a head injury? Uh no, I'm gonna take the coach at his word here and talk it. Say, "Ah, look, we miss this guy. And I think you know, Rick he hasn't tried to mislead here. I think he's tried to answer questions about Pia Suter, but also sort of stick to the club policy of not divulging an awful lot. And and so that at time you can tell that he doesn't want to answer these questions, but it's been two weeks tomorrow since we last saw Pia Suter on the ice. And that was at a practice at UBC. And after that, uh he has disappeared. He's missed seven games now and Look at the record over the last seven games. It's never just one guy, but he was playing well and he was contributing offense. And so he really was sort of finding his form uh, as a member of that third line. And so I do think that they've missed him an awful lot. And I thought Rick Dockett had a really interesting comment last week. This has sort of been a pet peeve or pet project of mine, getting weekly updates on Pia Suter. But he said that Suter was a guy that when games were starting to slip away, when periods were slipping away and the other team had momentum – that he's already discovered now that Pia Suter is one of those guys that you can put out there to try to change the momentum. And there's not a lot of flash in his game, as you guys know, but you know, there are just really solid habits, Uh spends most of his shifts in the offensive zone doesn't get scored on. And I kind of get where talk it's coming from. He's a bit of a safety valve there. If other lines aren't going, you know, you just need to spend a little bit of time in the offensive zone. Pia Suter and his line mates were doing a good job of that. So uh it's, You know, troubling to the point that he hasn't skated yet. The word setback always catches your attention. He's missed seven games. And if he hasn't skated, talk it today, said, you know, it's going to be a few more at the very least. But there is no definitive timetable with whatever the nature of the injury is. Uh, They're just going to have to push on without him. And Teddy Bluger playing a little higher in the lineup. You know, that's the other crazy thing is they've had this incredible start, 22 games in, that game in Montreal, the last game that Pia Suter played was the first game Teddy Bluger played. Like They have played one game together. And so we really, as good as the bottom six was in Seattle the other night, you know, we still haven't had a true representation of what this team can look like, what Rick Tockett would have at his disposal with both Bluger and Suter in the lineup together, aside from the one game against Montreal.
2: Jeff, what do you make of everything going on with Andre Kuzmenko back-to-back games? A healthy scratch.
3: I was fine with Friday night. I kind of thought message sent, and I like to see guys get an opportunity to respond. But Rick Talk it was pretty clear today after practice. And I asked him, you know, was that the plan all along to sit him out both games? Or was the decision on Saturday a byproduct of the way that the team played, hmm. and particularly that bottom six on Friday? And he said yes, that it, it just it was too difficult to find somebody to come out of the lineup the way they had played and beaten the Kraken and the quick turnaround to San Jose. Now you know, for the people out there that are saying fresh legs, fresh legs. I, I hear you. I'm not sure that one player with fresher legs than his teammates is going to make a huge difference, but we have no way of knowing uh, my counter to that is though. Andre Kuzmenko has had fresh legs on a lot of nights here lately. And how's that work for him in the hockey club? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, when they lose by a single goal and you're down and you're pressing late, uh, would you like to have had a guy with 39 NHL goals on his resume uh, out there? Yeah, probably. But, let's be honest too, that the 39 goal scorer of a year ago, isn't the same guy that we're seeing in front of him and talk, you know, he was asked a bunch of Kuzmenko questions today. And one of his answers was like last year's last year. And even though he was here for 36 games last year, you know, he's turned the page and whatever Kuzmenko did last year, uh, Rick Tocke didn't seem too concerned about that. He's dealing in the here and now. And that's a player that, you know, it's not just that he's not scoring. Talkett pointed to some decisions he made with the puck in the neutral zone Uh, where he just has to make simple plays and effective plays. And he's trying to beat guys one on three and then having his pocket picked and and teams go back the other way. And that disrupts line changes and those types of things. So, you know, it's not about the fact that Kuzmenko has gone nine without a goal and one in 14, Talk said, everybody goes through slumps. He's got other guys that are going through slumps. It's more about those staples as he talks about just about every media availability. And those are the things that he's harping on with Kuzmenko. But he felt Kuzmenko had a pretty active practice today and was quick to declare, as you guys pointed out earlier, he will play tomorrow night.
1: With Kuzmenko returning to the lineup, what would you do with the Canucks' power play, do you keep Heronik on the first unit because of the success they've had recently? Do you insert Kuzmenko back in because you want to put him in a position to succeed? How, how would you approach it?
3: Yeah, you know what, I think I'd stick with the two defensemen set for the time being. I don't think that's a long-term play, but the way that Hironik's uh, hammering the puck right now, uh, the way that Quinn Hughes is looking for his shot opportunities, and just that movement. And Hockey Night in Canada did a nice job, I thought, on Saturday pointing out uh, it just – when you see the trackers on the ice and the, and the two guys moving and how confusing that is for defenses. I also think when you look at what they offer up as a second power play unit, I'd get a whole Glander on there and I'd put Kuzmenko on that second unit as well. With all due respect to Teddy Bluger. Sorry. He's here to do other things. Uh, he is, he doesn't need to be a power play piece for the Vancouver Canucks. You don't need face-offs uh, from your second unit very often. And if you do, I think you can find somebody else to get out there and take the draw. So I, I'd freshen up that second unit. I mean, Bovillier, we know the struggles that he's having. Uh, sure. You know, he's a guy that thinks offense and has run NHL power, been part of NHL power plays. And maybe that's why he continues to get the long leash here. But I would inject Hoaglander. Uh, I'd find a way to get Kuzmenko on that second unit, try to get him a few more shots. We know that uh, he's not a volume shooter, but on the power play, you know, maybe you focus a little bit more on him and make him a featured part of that. So I think they've got some options, but for the time being, you know, the power play struck twice the other night, uh, Hironic, uh, the way that he's playing. I think I'd stick with that two defenseman set and kind of ease Kuzmenko back into the lineup. Baby steps here. I don't know that you want to reward him right away with they spot back of the first unit because uh, not a whole lot's happened for him when he's been out there with the man advantage this season.
2: Jeff, Canucks have now dropped four of their last six games. Any signs of concern for you or is it just one of these stretches that every team goes through?
3: No, I mean, I think there are some reasons, and the schedule is part of it, but I'm not letting them off the hook like their coach. I mean, part of that 10-game stretch, guys, they played one top 10 team in the National Hockey League, and I think you have to take that like context matters here. I mean, uh, they played Colorado the other night, they played them hard for 40 minutes, and then the game got away in the third period. A uh, couple of concerns, their last three regulation losses all tied 2-2 going to the third period. I think the really good teams find a way to put the hammer down, and and that's three straight games against varying levels of competition where you know, the game has got away from them and ultimately they've left points on the table. So, you know, it is a 60 minute game, as much as it's a cliche, uh, they can't rest on their laurels if they're tied 2 two and think that, oh, you know, we're going to get power play opportunities. And that's how we'll put the hammer down and ultimately get the win. Uh, don't chase the game. And I think even against a struggling team like San Jose, you saw the Canucks never had the lead. They thought they did with the Lafferty goal that was uh, overruled, but uh, at the end of a stretch like that one, back to back with travel, Uh, They chased that game. And in the third period, then you're leaning on your top end guys. And I thought Quinn Hughes was heroic uh, all night on Saturday. But in the third period, 12 minutes in the third period at the end of that stretch of the schedule plays uh, 30 minutes on the night, 16 shot attempts. So, uh, you know, he tried everything in his power. And if he had that left in the tank, like why couldn't other guys have come up with that sort of effort and energy level? Uh, you know, but when Hughes seemed like to me, that was leadership. He was doing everything in his power, uh, to get the Canucks back going even terms in that hockey game. I, I do have some concerns about Elias Pettersson. Maybe there are small red flags right now. It's the lack of shot volume for this guy that he's got. I was doing the math here the other day, like, okay, he hasn't scored since the power play goal in Calgary, one goal in nine. I mean, that's a little bit alarming for a guy who looked and made it look so easy in those first 10 games, but really a shot volume. Where he's got 14 shots in his last eight hockey games, like not even two shots per game. And I thought I noted him passing up shot opportunities in San Jose on Saturday. Now, I know Harm, when you and I did the post game on Friday, we mentioned that you know he had a couple of one timers in the power play against the Kraken. And that to me looked promising for the people that think, oh, it's gotta be a wrist injury. I just I don't know if it's a you know, if he's in a funk, if it's a confidence thing, whatever. I don't need to see the one-timer. We know how lethal his wrist shot and his snapshot can be. And he beats goalies cleanly when he has time and space. And for him to be averaging, you know, a shot and a half, a shot, two shots per game. I go back to the Dallas game where he scored. And that was his last five on five goal. He had seven shots that night. not going to have seven every night. But he's so talented. He can do so much when he's got the puck on his stick in the offensive zone. That that's the troubling trend for me right now. And I hope that's all it is, is a trend. But that jumps out at me that Elias Pedersen is leaving way too many of these games lately with a single shot or maybe two shots on goal. But, you know, there have been a few more attempts along the way. But in terms of actually hitting the target and finding the net, uh, just not a whole lot happening around Elias Pedersen these days.
2: Jeff, great stuff as always, my friend. Go buy tomorrow's outfit.
3: Yeah, I'm going to go figure out the technical issues. I'm glad that uh, we got that sorted out. Not sure what happened off the hop there, but uh, always fun to be on with you guys and looking forward to a big week ahead here. Not so much the Ducks, but Thursday, the Stanley Cup champs in town. uh, Should be a fun night at Rogers Arena. Absolutely. Thanks, Jeff. Jeff Patterson.
2: Apparently unaware that the Anaheim Ducks are a wagon. As I said in the start of the show. Uh, No, that was really good stuff from Jeff. I I want to highlight one thing that Jeff said. When he spoke about Rick Talkett, and the leadership coming from him and kind of having a trickle down effect it feels like there is a level of accountability within this organization more within this locker room a level of accountability that starts with rick talkett and goes right down to the players we've heard way less excuses we've you know people are trying to give them the you're tired excuse and look i feel like we talk about it like I said to you before the show starts, I'm like, if I have to say the word fatigued or tired anymore when talking about this team, I'm going to lose it. I've lost it. I'm, I'm past that point because here I am talking about it again. There's a level of accountability with this team right now that we just haven't seen in recent years.
1: It feels like they're holding themselves collectively to a higher standard. And to me, that's been evident since the preseason. I think talk, it's been instrumental in that. Also, the players themselves since arriving in September, it feels like the core players that have been here for a while, Quinn Hughes, JT Miller, Brock Besser, Elias Pedersen, Thatcher Demko. There's a new level of desperation that, okay, we've had so many kicks at the can where they're so sick and tired of losing that at this point, they just want the results. They don't care about excuses. And you like to see that from the group. And, I also like the way that Talkit has sort of balanced his messaging where he's not always bringing the stick and always bringing the hammer down on the team. Like at today's practice, yes, he had teaching moments, but his tone, I noticed, was pretty friendly. It was uplifting. It was positive. It wasn't, I'm barking at these guys because they lost to San Jose and we've been scuffling Um, recently it was, okay, that happened. Let's move on. Let's have a positive practice. And yes, I'm going to teach you things in areas that we need to clean up. But it was clearly from a positive uplifting place. And I think that's an important balance to strike as well because you can't always be ultra demanding and always be sour grapes and always be- Daryl Sutter. Yeah. And, And so today's practice, I thought was a great job of him counterbalancing that. Okay, you sent the message- In terms of how frank you were, um, now you're ready to hit the reset button and you're approaching it a little differently, which I really liked.
0: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes.
2: Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Let's get to anyone else presented by our pals over at DoorDash. A lot of good stuff in the chat already, folks, but get your anyone else's in because we're going to go through and read them. It's time for anyone else presented by DoorDash. It's our listener's chance to get involved and hit us up in the YouTube live chat. And it's also our listener's chance to get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more. That's right. For a limited time, our listeners can get 25% off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when they download the DoorDash app and enter code nation 25. That's all capital letters nation and the numbers two, five offer valid in Canada subject to change terms do apply okay uh i don't want to hear anything about Corey perry in the chat anymore we've got a lot of people why are there well i don't know if you, there's there's stuff yeah, on social media but it's it's already it, it took like 10 minutes for a reputable reporter in jason greger our friend over at oilers nation to come out and say this is completely false just stop it just just stop but anyways oh was
1: that, it, it's not was tr- that the stupid whatsapp yes Yes, it was, Harmon. Come on, guys. Don't believe everything you anyway, see Anyway,
2: Yeah, the WhatsApp group chat. I was like, <laughs>
1: holy cow, this is my
2: source. Anyways, so Jason Greger came out and said uh, <laughs> that is complete BS. But regardless, let's, not, let's try not to make light of a situation that could be very serious for Corey Perry. Like, we don't know what's going on. Um, there obviously hasn't been much communication from anybody, whether that be the team or Perry and his agent, who came out with kind of but not really different statements than each other. But anyways, let's respect the privacy at the time. At this time, we'll obviously learn more about the situation as it progresses. Let's get to the good anyone else's in the chat here. Uh, this one from Nick P. it talked about pairs rather than lines in the summer, but hasn't done it much during the
1: season. Should he move to pairs with wingers being rotated more often? I feel like we've seen, I mean, it's not that he's been religious about the pairs. Uh, in relation to the forward lines, but I think we've seen some cons- consistency. I mean, Miller and Besser have... I was going to say he's forever. been keeping
2: the pairs that have worked, and I think there's only one that's really worked, and it's Miller and Besser. Yeah. I don't know if you want to put Mikheyev and Patterson in that conversation. I think that's probably more of a byproduct of Mikheyev having not been here the whole season, but Miller and Besser, that's their
1: most consistent pair. But also, to, like, Joshua and Garland are a pair at this point. hmm There you go. So yeah i think it's as simple as you run with what's working and what's not and i don't have a problem at all with how talk has approached line construction this season this season i think he's pressed the right buttons for the most part
2: trip says we somehow managed to let michael grandlin look like vintage pavel <laughs> just an end and and yeah, he's got the rocket skates on Goes completely uncontested in the neutral zone, which is where the problems start. I know I was making jokes about Philip Peronik getting turnstiled and how that should automatically take off a million dollars off your contract in the negotiation. Um, But it all starts in the neutral zone, obviously. And you you can't let that happen. You can't let that happen. Um, Okay. Got another one here from Sniper. Would you rather have a bad game against the bottom feeder Sharks and give them the two points or have that same effort against the playoff team and give them the two points? Or a playoff team, the Seattle Kraken, who the Canucks beat 5-1. We haven't talked about that win very much.
1: I mean, For the Canucks' playoff odds, I prefer them beating Seattle and losing to San Jose. Why give Seattle points? Especially because the Kraken have been gaining momentum lately, so you essentially create further distance it's a four-point game because with San Jose you don't care about giving two points to them they're irrelevant in the playoff conversation but you give Seattle two points and all of a sudden you give a team that started slow but has come on recently and made the playoffs last season you give them some life so even though we're harping on them losing to to San Jose giving them a lot of crap for it I would have rather them beat Seattle and lose to San Jose than the uh opposite. Okay, Grady, you flashed it on the screen. We had one from the Facebook chat, which I don't.
2: we don't have an eye on. We have an eye on they the have YouTube a Facebook chat. chat. Yeah, we do. The show is live streamed on Facebook, Twitter. You should know this one. <laughs> And YouTube, but we keep an eye very closely on the YouTube live chat.
0: But Grady, you pulled one up here from Tim Graham. I got the name yeah. right. Uh, so what was the question? Any chance the Canucks should be are in on the Kane sweepstakes, or should they be? Oh man,
2: Patrick Kane, of course. No. Who's
0: going to be making it?
2: No, have some fun. Where's your vibes? I mean, I guess Kane isn't the best vibes. But... Kane
1: is—he's a one-dimensional winger. Oh, we've got, got Uber out here. He's slow too. Also, the the hip um, surgery he's coming off of—it's mm-hmm. the same one that Backstrom returned from. Looked like a shell of his former self, and now he's left the Capitals. And Plus, doesn't Kane want a multi year deal? Yeah.
0: And if you're going to spend money, why don't you address it at an actual need of your team? I don't think they need like a one dimensional playmaking winger where you don't even know where his game is truly at. And he wasn't even like he was okay with the Rangers this year, but he wasn't like a game breaker needle mover last year in the playoffs, right? So I'd rather them take that money and spend it, say, on a, another right shot defenseman. All right. Well, you guys have what little money that they have left too.
2: <laughs> haven't you ever played like NHL franchise mode and you want to go get Pat? I don't know. Anyways, it's just right. You're right. You're right, you're right. I mean, even it on the is. power
1: play, who are you taking off the first unit? I mean, Very at that point, point you sign Kane and Kuzmenko is useless to your team. You almost have a similar thing
2: to what I think happened in New York last year. They go get Terasenko, They go get Kane. Why wasn't that team great? I think they had all these, they had six of the same player, right? Like, You look at it and you start to think, okay, in terms of roster construction, you're starting to enter that Jim Benning territory where you go get Connor Garland because look how good his 5-on-5 scoring is and then all of a sudden he doesn't fit in your top six and trade rumors, all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. Just you you need to think about how these guys are going to fit in your lineup. So no, they're not going to be on the cane sweepstakes even though it would be fun.
1: The Canucks could use, big picture, another legit top-line caliber forward. I just don't think they need the one-dimensional type uh, in Kane because sure, they could use another play driver. They could use an upgrade on Bovillier on the Miller line for mm-hmm. instance. Or even if you want a better fit with uh, peterson and you're able to shuttle Mikheyev down to the second line and has a trickle down effect there. It's not to say that the top six is perfect and doesn't need any reinforcement. Phil Kessel.
2: Sorry to throw you off. Just throw a little wrench in what you're saying.
0: Phil you Kessel. Is Phil
2: Kessel the reinforce? Hey, this is from the chat. Phil
1: Kessel, Phil, no. Phil the Thrill Kessel is the missing piece. He that played under Talkett, right? He played under Talkett. Pittsburgh and no. Arizona.
0: He's too slow. He doesn't, yeah. his defensive results have been terrible. He couldn't crack Vegas's now, obviously, much deeper roster yeah. in the playoffs last year. I just, and where, Teddy where's Bluger he going to fit? You already have like a similar style player in Kuzmenko on your roster, right? You're not going to hide him in your bottom six when, you know, the guy's basically a liability defensively. So.
2: Man, you guys are no fun. I'm throwing out all these names here.
0: Who are you you're, gonna throw out the I don't know. i I'm trying mode. to think
2: of who would be really good. Like it's it's the it's the running joke of okay, if I've heard of this guy, he can play <laughs> for the team. You got your Braden Holpies, your Jay Beagles. If if I've heard of him, we can go after him. <laughs> who who else? Who 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 would what, you like? gonna bring back Danny Heatley? Danny then? Heatley, there's a great name. 07. Maybe he's the fit. Maybe he's the fit. How do we know, Harmon? You watched him play recently? No.
0: You're a yeah, your
1: Yarmir Yager?
0: hey, he's still playing in the Czech
1: he's League. Still playing. Low key, in the I League. bet Yager would would be a better fit for this team than Kessel. Yes,
0: Even yes. Even though Yager's pushing his 50. foot
1: speed, probably. Yeah, but he yeah. can at least protect the puck. Exactly. Down low you off just, just got to give him yeah. the
0: puck in the corner, and he'll just protect it and draw guys in, and then dish it out front, <laughs> and boom. There you this go. This is quickly
2: turning into a game of puck doku here. Um, <laughs> so, we won't. Uh, Keep going in that direction. Uh here we go. We've got a few here. Okay. This from Nar. If you're willing to trade Hoaglander Plus Plus, what defenseman do you realistically want in return, Harman? You're trading Hoaglander plus plus.
1: Hoaglander's been playing well lately. His trade value's higher. Well, first of all, we have to clarify cannot be for a rental. That would be a mistake. Yep. It's tricky because I can't just throw out names because I want a good defenseman, but how many good defensemen are available? Yes. That's that's a problem that I it's keep go, It's gonna be it's into. gonna
2: be the quiet one. Like it's gonna be like a Philip Peronic. We just had Frank Servo yeah. last week and he talked about how, yeah, Philip Peronic wasn't available, but that's because it happened within the span of like three hours that trade went down, and his name never got out there. That was the guarantee from Steve Eiserman to Jim Rutherford when that trade was made. So I feel like it's going to if 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 it's going to be a trade. It's going to be one of these guys who's on the younger side, maybe like a philipronic light type thing where you know he's going to be a part of your team moving forward, but probably not out there in trade discussions. Where are you on Dante Fabro, Harm?
1: Coquillum Express, good guy. For me, interesting. I haven't had as much of a chance to watch him this season. Before this season, I would have said he profiles to me as like a solid bottom pair type. Yeah would be an upgrade for this blue line but also at what acquisition cost? At what acquisition right? cost and I remember he's had stretches in previous years where he's caddied Roman Yosi but is he the type of player that can offer you top 4 right. minutes? I'm not sure. I'm I'm not quite sold on Fabro yeah. as the guy. Yeah. To me he's the type where where I look at and go okay If you aren't going to sign Ethan Bear for whatever reason, then sure, Fabro is an upgrade, right shot, you like the fit. But if you plan on re-signing Ethan Bear, I don't know how much Fabro moves the needle for you. And I would just like to add that I no longer support
2: him as much as I did about three minutes ago when I yelled out Coquitlam Express because he never actually played for the Express. He's from Coquitlam. Langley Riverman, Riverman played two games and then he went to the Penticton, Penticton Vs. the, the powerhouse. Evil, yeah, the evil empire of the BCHL, the Penticton Vs. He went to Penticton. So once you sell your soul to Penticton... I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 but you, you go watch Penticton Vs games and it's like, you see all the names. There was a game I did in 2019. You gotta look at that roster of the 2019-20 Penticton Vs. It was like, oh, who, who was on that
0: team? Uh, Scott was Niedermeyer's it? kid. Yeah. Tony
2: Amonti's kid uh well, before that Joast Dyke,
0: jost and stetcher and yes some of those guys right yes yeah.
2: but i'm talking former nhlers right. kids are all yeah. on the penticton v's and hey i'm i'm just gonna be honest here they're pretty damn good at hockey all those kids like all those guys are very good and that's the reason the penticton v's lose maybe one or two games every year one day I want to get Clay Stevenson on. Also, keep an eye on Massimo Rizzo. He was on that 2019-20 Coquillum Express team. Has not signed his ELC with the Carolina Hurricanes yet. We'll see what happens there, but one day we're going to get Clay Stevenson on um, on this show. He was the goaltender of that 2019-20 Express team, which was a certified wagon. He's now with the Washington Capitals, and there was it looked like he was going to make his NHL debut a couple of weeks ago, so I was really looking forward to that. But Clay Stevenson, in all seriousness, has a – Tremendous story. I'll tell you guys at another day, but tremendous story. Um, that 2019 20 season was special for him for a lot of reasons, but quite honestly, uh, the, the strongest individual performance I've seen from a goaltender in any season of junior hockey, uh, from Clay Stevenson that year. So hopefully, we get him on the show one day. But Massimo Rizzo, keep an eye on him as well. Might be, uh, might be a NCAA free agent signing. I don't know. I don't know. They haven't signed him yet in Carolina, so we will. See, anything else? Uh, or do you guys want me to keep talking about the Coquillum Express?
1: Well, I think we know why you don't watch a lot of NHL action besides the Canucks because you're glued on on the BCHL. On the Coquitlam Express. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're saying all this, and my the extent of my knowledge of the BCHL, at least in terms of which teams are good, is just that Penticton's always a wagon.
2: Yeah, Penticton's
1: like very good. The win streak that the team Troy Stetcher was on mm-hmm. was legendary, and he had some awesome stories about that. But yeah, besides that, you're... You're going off about Penticton and Coquitlam, and I, admittedly, you're, you're smarter than me on this. I, I
0: can't keep up. Did you ever call Coquitlam game squads?
1: No, no, I
0: i was oh. never on commentary. So my I story with Coquitlam, had, yeah, that would have been fun. I would my story
2: with Coquitlam, sure. and folks, get your anyone else is in. Uh, we're gonna quickly reminisce for a second here. um My story with Coquitlam was I was like, how old was I, I was. 19 maybe 18 years old when I no no no, 19 I was 19 and I had just started blogging about the Canucks just in my spare time while I was an SFU student and then I went to BCIT at the age of I, I was 19 turning 20 I'm not sure I'm not sure For six months ago doesn't matter yeah exactly <laughs> doesn't matter it was a few years ago like four <laughs> years ago and basically I took a job being a volunteer writer for the BCHL network, which is Brian Weeb, Who's an instructor at BCIT. one of my instructors. Um, good guy. Good guy. Great guy. I took a, took a, took a job with him kind of learning how to interview, getting my reps in paying my dues because I didn't want the first time I was in a locker room to be an NHL locker room. So I covered the 2019, 20 Coquitlam express and I'm proud of a lot of the work I did there. It was actually a, a lot of fun and very rewarding. Really. I was the only media there. Um, at the games most nights but it was really rewarding to kind of you know see how junior hockey works and how guys kind of come up and how everybody has a different story in there look that 2019-20 Coquitlam Express team if COVID hadn't paused their season they absolutely I think would have beaten Penticton in the final they were fantastic uh that year they beat Penticton a couple times in the regular season as well they were a very very good team and like I said Clay Stevenson um there's a reason he's knocking on the door for an nhl job right now something changed in that year for clay he he had like a sub 900 save percentage in every year before that but comes out has the best season i've seen from any goaltender uh in any level of junior hockey and then he gets a scholarship to dartmouth that turns into an nhl contract with the washington capitals and i wrote about a few years ago got my scoop I'm sure people can figure out where which, which region, region of the Lower Mainland I got that scoop from, but I got the scoop that the Canucks were checking in on Clay Stevenson. Um, and I was really hopeful that they would sign him and add him to the Golden pipeline, but obviously he settles with uh, – I shouldn't say settles, but he signs with the Washington Capitals. Any other BCHL questions, folks? We're rapidly losing listeners. <laughs> Andrew Christensen. We're now a BCHL The Nanaimo Clippers would have won that
0: year. I got to look up – the Clippers weren't good that year. Someone else talk Jesse on YouTube is asking how much does an internal cap structure affect the Heronic deal? IE Quinn's cap hit, which I think is a great question because for years in Detroit, they had this rule where they had a certain tier of players, Nikolaj from Pavel Datsuk Zetterberg, where they would not allow some of their uh, pending free agents to sign above that line. Now, Harm, with the cap going up and Hughes on one of the best value deals in the league right now, do you envision a world where Hironic signs above that 7.85 cap hit? I'd be surprised. Of course, he has got
1: he's going to have a heck of a statistical case, especially because he's got arbitration rights, which are going to be juiced by the massive minutes he's logging, the huge point totals. But this is a really great question because, yes, internal cap does matter during these negotiations. And you're going to be really hard-pressed if you're a Heronics camp to say that you deserve to be paid more than Quinn Hughes, even though everybody knows that that's a value contract. So yeah, I think it's going to be difficult difficult for Heronik, uh, his agency, to become the highest-paid defenseman uh, on this team on a uh, on long-term deal. I do think that matters. And, and for so long, the internal cap Dynamics have worked against the Canucks because they always had these bloated AAVs. So it helps that, you know, you have Myers, and this isn't in relation to heronic but in terms of future players and future negotiations, it helps to have Myers coming off the books. It obviously helped in, you know, some of those previous contracts at Beagle, Roussel, some of those inflated bottom six contracts are gone uh, because absolutely internal cap dynamics do matter. And it's affected plenty of negotiations around the league.
2: I just want to say the Clippers had a 37-17-0-4 record. They weren't that good. Andrew, Andrew Christensen in the chest, trying to tell me the 9 Clippers would have won that year. They had some great forwards. Yeah, they did. So did Penticton. So did the Express. The Express had the best goaltender in the league. He won MVP that year. BCHL MVP went to Clay Stevenson that year, a goaltender. They had... St- stellar defense they had all these commitments they've had they had nhl draft picks in massimo rizzo that was an nhl draft pick who would have gone higher than the seventh round had he not been injured in his draft year he's had a few injury concerns that's actually part of the reason he ended up in Coquitlam. he was the captain of the penticton v's but he wanted to be closer to his doctors and he lived in burnaby north burnaby kid good kid actually his aunt was my home ec teacher in high school I'm all over the place. You sound like
1: Pierre Maguire, (laughs) just like randomly referencing facts that nobody
2: knows or has asked about. (laughs) Uh, Jesse C with a touchy subject. Quad's opinion on the BCHL leaving Hockey Canada. Oh, spicy. They they said they didn't need Hockey Canada, and I don't know if you've looked, Coquitlam just almost had a sold-out crowd. Or no, they had a sold-out crowd uh, on Friday night, and so far, I'm just saying... BCHL basically said, we don't need you, Hockey Canada. And so far, it sounds like they were absolutely right that they do not need Hockey Canada. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Okay, anything else here?
0: (laughs) Just no more BCHL. I think we've maxed our quota for BCHL talk. (laughs) For the the entire month for the next year. Okay,
2: let's get back to the NHL with our Betway bet of the day. I've been hitting these lately, Harmon. You know this too. You know this. I've been hitting them lately. Uh, have I? I don't miss, as the kids would say, uh, <laughs> as we would say. Pull it up here, uh, Grady. The Betway bet of the day brought to you by our friends over at Betway. Simple. The Vegas Golden Knights to beat the Calgary Flames tonight at minus one fifteen odds. A ten dollar bet returns you eighteen sixty nine. That's a nice bet over there at Betway. It must be nineteen plus to play. If you choose to play, please play. Responsibly. Keeping it simple, folks. I, I've been calling it Philip Peronic on the shot uh, shot totals. Quinn Hughes shot totals. I've just been on fire lately. Let's see if I can keep... I'm on like a, what, two-game heater? See if I can keep it going to three. That's no more bad.
0: football bets. That's pretty solid value for Vegas, who's obviously a premier team in the West. Uh, in Calgary, now they're going to be the away team tonight. So that's always going to drop some value. But now they're coming off a loss against the Yotes. They got Yoted the other night on Saturday. I like that quads. I think you're onto something there and it's not too juicy of a price where you have feel a little guilty laying all that, those odds on that. Yeah. Final thing on
2: the BCHL.
0: I'm just I'm going, going back. To turn your mic I'm off. going
2: back with Andrew in the chat here. I just, he's like, yeah, I watched every home game. They were great. That's great about the Nanaimo Clippers. The express beat them
1: every time they played. The quads, you're bringing up logic and,
0: and reasons. Who has and, time for that? And the vibes were. Yeah,
2: Andrew has the vibes. He did have the
0: vibes. I think right. we need a BCHL sponsored segment here. Absolutely. Quad can just read the box scores from last night. That's right. That's I'm gonna right. walk out Reminisch of reminisce about the 2019. I would love
2: to have a BCHL guest on and make Harmon ask BCHL questions. I would
1: protest.
2: <laughs> All right. Well, we'll close it out there for my co-host Harmon Dial and our technical producer Grady sass My name is David Gugelli. Thank you so much. Listening to the episode of the BCA, uh, the Canucks Conversation. (laughs) Canucks Conversation with Harmon and Quads every weekday at 2 p.m. Be sure to check it out on the Canucks Army YouTube channel. And if you missed it, go check it out on your
1: favorite podcast catcher app.